Hey, and welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. We are in a series on the book of Revelation where we are seeking what God's word says to us as the church right now. Each week of the series, we will go through large portions of scripture. So if you go to scottshill.org slash revelation, you will be provided a reader's guide to keep you on track with the passages from each week's sermon. We hope this series blesses you as we look forward to the imminent return of Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. So glad to see all of you here this morning as we've gathered publicly to worship together. For those of you who are watching us online, thank you for joining us each week as you celebrate with us. I want to give a shout out to my sister, Faye, who lives in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, good to see you, little sister. Well, actually, you see me. I don't see you, but just welcome. Glad that you're able to join us there as we continue to study the Word of God together. Um, one of the things I've done throughout the years is I love to collect signs, and these little signs have some cute sayings, and sometimes I call them the signs of the times. And I came across this sign several years ago. It was a horse riding stable. And people you love to ride horses. They love to rent these horses and go and ride them through the countryside. Well, one of these horse riding stables had this big sign, and it was like carved out of, uh, on, on this big sheet of plywood. The letters were like wood burned or carved into it. And it says, we have horses for everyone. And the sign was encouraging, but then it was a little discouraging as well. Here's what it said. It says, we have small horses for small people. We have big horses for big people. We have fast horses for those who like to go fast. We have slow horses for those who like to go slow. We have horses for expert riders. And for those who have never ridden a horse, we have horses that have never been ridden. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Well, you know, people love horses. They love horseback riding. But when you get to the book of Revelation, there are four horsemen that come out that are going to be the dread of all humanity. They're known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And throughout the years, people have miscategorized what these four horsemen are. Charles Manson, for example, that mass murderer, uh, he said that the four horsemen were the Beatles, And he attributed that to these group of English guys um, singing and bringing rock and roll music all around the world. So he he says, they're the four horsemen. Now, if you grew up watching Westerns like I did with my dad, and you can remember Clint Eastwood, and there was a famous movie that he comes into town. What was it called? The Pale Rider, representing one of the four horsemen. And um, people began to think, okay, yeah, making that connection with Clint Eastwood in this Western And then not long ago, there was a movie called Now You See Me, Now You See Me. And it it was about these four magicians, and they were known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then people have miscategorized these throughout the ages. But when they come, they're not going to be anything like anything we've ever expected. They're going to bring some of the worst difficulties of humanity that we have ever seen. Today, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 6, where we are beginning to open or watch Jesus open the seven seals. And we're going to deal with these four horsemen, but we're going to deal with all of the other um, elements 
that are in chapter 6 and verse in chapter 7. So take your Bibles this morning, open to Revelation 6 and 7. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We have the scriptures are going to be on the screen and we're going to work through these things together. Now, before we jump into Revelation 6 and 7, the one thing that we need to remember is where we were the last time we met. We were in chapters 4 and 5 and we were in the throne room with unbridled worship before Almighty God. And we saw the picture of what worship in heaven was going to be like. And then in chapter 5, there is a scroll that's in the Father's hand. And there's only one person who is worthy of taking that scroll and opening the seals, and it is the Lord Jesus himself. So he comes and he takes the scroll from the Father's hand. And on that scroll are seven seals that are going to be dealing with judgment that's coming to the world. Now, what we have to understand is the relation between these seven seals and all of the judgment that's in the book of Revelation. Sometimes that can be confusing. But each seal, seventh seal, leads to another set of judgment and at the end of that leads to another set of judgments. So it's like a telescoping relationship when we look at the seals and the judgment in the book of Revelation. In fact, if I could give you a graph of it, this is what it would look like. You have the seven seals, which is in Revelation 6 through chapter 8, 1. But the seventh seal leads us to the seven trumpets of Revelation 8 and 9. But the seventh trumpets leads us to the seven bows of Revelation 15 and 16. And each set of judgment becomes more intense and more serious all the way throughout the book. Today, what we're going to look at are six of the seven seals. And as we unpack these six of the seven seals, what we're going to see is they're broken down into certain groups. The first four seals meet together. And they represent one thing. Then you've got seal number five that represents something. And then seal number six that represents something. So here's what I want us to see. I want us to look at the first six seals. And what we're going to see is there is going to be an increase of certain things that will impact all of humanity. In fact, when we get to chapter seven, we're going to see that there's going to be a great encouraging word for the body of Christ and for believers. Now, we've got to remember this. The book of Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean to the people who received the letter. And the book of Revelation was written to them, but it is written for us. And so we're going to see what's happening, not only presently, but the things that are going to continue to increase as time goes on. So I want to show you four areas of increase. Here's the first one. There's going to be increasing consequences due to rebellion and rejection of God. We're going to find that there's going to be an increase in the consequences of humanity that is going to rebel and reject against God. Now, these things are already happened. Humanity has been rebelling and has been rejecting God. They're going to grow with great intensity. And when Jesus shows us this, he begins to open all the seals and the four seals, the first four seals, the seals of the horsemen deal with the natural consequences for the sinful nature of humanity. But they're going to increase and each horse stands for something different. 
And as we go through, and as these seals eventually are going to be open, we're going to see an incredible increase in the consequences for human depravity. Now, let's break it down, and I want to give you the four horses. First, we discover the white horse. And the white horse is a picture of deception. Deception is going to continue to increase. And when this horse comes, there's going to be an increase of deception like we have never seen. Here's what the the seal says. Now, I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and his rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, many people misrepresent this white horse. Some people have said this is the Lord Jesus. But it is not a picture of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes they think that because Revelation 19 talks about Jesus coming on a white horse. He's got a crown, he's got a sword, and he's coming to conquer. But this is not a picture of the Lord Jesus. This is, first of all, no angel is going to command Jesus to come. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Secondly, the crown on his head is different than the crown on this person's head. Jesus has a sword. This one has a bow that has no arrows to it. And so this is a picture of someone who looks like Jesus, who sounds like Jesus, but is an antichrist. In fact, is the antichrist. And the fact that he comes with the bow, but he has no arrows, demonstrates that this is going to be a bloodless conquering. He is not going to have to use physical damage, physical harm. Why? Because the enemy of our soul, the devil, the Antichrist is going to come deceiving men and women. And the battle is going to be in our minds and in our hearts. And he's going to twist things that sound really good but then they become to lead people astray. And we see that even the apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians. He says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. Therefore, God sends, go back, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that he may, they may all may be condemned who do not believe in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let me tell you, this antichrist is going to come with a strong delusion. He's coming to come with deception. He's going to come into our culture in such a way that the minds of men and women are going to believe his lies. He sounds good. He looks good. After all, look how beautiful he is. Look how kind he is. Look at how wise he is. And this is a picture of incredible deception. Now, I want to tell you this. Satan has always been in the schemes of deception, hasn't he? Think about in the garden with Adam and Eve. The first thing he did was this, and he always uses the same ploys in humanity. First thing was this, he called him to doubt God's word. Did God really say? And they began to doubt the word of God. Then the next thing was he caused them to deconstruct truth. You will not die. And then he got them to discard trusting in God altogether. 
because God knows the day that you eat of it, you will be like him, knowing good and evil, and you will need him no more. That same plan the enemy does today. He's working in our culture. He's working in our world. He's encouraging people to put aside the word of God. It can't be trusted. In fact, in our culture today, if you hold to biblical teachings, you are called unlearned at best and a racist at worst. And we're called to put away the word of God. We're called in our culture today to deconstruct truth. Look what is happening all around us. We have taken truth and we've so twisted it that this, this thing has become lunacy, which is known as wokeism. And what has happened? We've deconstructed all of truth and we've become deceived. It's not abortion. It's not murder. It's health and it's the care of the mother and it's a choice. It's not homosexuality. It's a lifestyle that is viable as anybody else's. It's not adultery. It's just simply trying to find my place of happiness in the world. And it continues to run its course. And the white horse of deception is already among us. And you can hear the hoof beats of this white horse coming in the days ahead. I want to tell you, everything is set and it has been working for a long time towards this thing of deception. The white horse, he's coming with deception. But let's look at the next one, the red horse. The red horse is coming with division. He is one of division. Now, when you think of red, you're thinking of blood because it speaks of one of war. And here's how we find John hearing this. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Now, this true that we live in a world filled with war. We, feel that we live in a world that's filled with nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We see that, that these things are always in conflict. And those things will never not be. Jesus said that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars because that has always been a part. We actually have something within our own spirits of wanting to fight all the time. We have a propensity towards those things. But this is not a picture of kingdom against kingdom, global empires against global empires. Here's what's interesting. It says here that he comes with a great sword, but he doesn't kill anybody. This red horse is not responsible for killing people. Who's doing the killing? The people are slaying one another. The word in the Greek here literally means slaughter. It literally means to, um, to brutalize one another and to butcher one another. That's what it means. So what is the red horse's job? To antagonize the people, to be divided over one another to put people against one another, to remove the peace from the earth, to bring people to a place of absolute rage with one another. And what does he do? He uses kings. He uses presidents. He uses governors. He uses mayors. He uses special interest groups. He uses anything he can to divide people from one another. And as a result, they become so brutal that they start slaying one another. And you're going to see that increase. Have we not even seen that in our own culture increasing? 
Think about the people who are against one another. Think about the senseless murders that are taking place. Think about the rise of crime all around us. Think about our government and politicians who are purposefully trying to divide us. You know, there's a debate going on right now that should the United States be divided based upon political parties and taking this side of the country and taking this side of the country? When the red horse comes, there's going to be deep division like you've never seen. And people won't go out because they will be they will be just absolutely ridiculous murder and slaying of one another. And the ground is being set even today. Let's look at the black horse. The black horse is deficiency. It represents deficiency. It talks about famine. And when we talk about famine, you would think that the natural thing that follows war is always going to be that of famine. But this is really interesting. It's not famine in the sense that you and I would naturally think of it. He says, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales. Scales often signified famine in the land. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, famine is real. 800 million people every single day go to bed hungry around the world. Over 3 million children this next year under the age of five will starve to death because of malnutrition. Do you know that our dogs in America get more protein than most people around the world? That's the kind of culture we live in. But that's not the famine it's talking about here. It's not talking about, oh, global famine that because there's a lack of food. Scholars think that they're one of three things or maybe all three things that it's talking about here when it's talking about this kind of famine. It's talking about famine that comes because of inflation and you can't afford to buy anything. That's why he talks about a quart of wheat for denarius. That means an entire day's wage for one meal. Or maybe it's a famine that comes because the government controls the flow of food and products, and you can only buy the things that the government allows. And when we get to Romans 13, you will see that can only be purchased if you have the mark of the beast. And so we see government control. But here's another picture that's really interesting. It also means holding back the, net, the essential things that we need. But let's give everybody the luxuries of life. The luxuries of life. We'll give you the oil. We'll give you the wine. We're going to ration all the essential things. But we're going to keep you famished. And the ultimate desire is the famishing of the soul. Are we not over living in a culture like that? We're living in a culture that wants to tell us, you know what? We're not going to focus on the necessities of a life of success and satisfaction. We're going to give you all the non-necessities. We're going to give you all the things of the world. And we want you to run after the houses and to run after the products and to run after the possessions and run after the relationships. Forget your soul. Let's just pursue those external things. And you know what ends up happening? Is there's a famish, there's a famine of the soul in America. And we see that all around us. It's no wonder people are depressed. It's no wonder people are anxious. 
It's no wonder people find themselves in absolute despair because the things of the world will never satisfy only what God can fill. Amos even talked about this in chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. And boy, are we living in a time of famine. So the black horse is going to bring this, this deficiency within our lives. But then we come to the pale horse. The pale horse is death. Everybody knows that. It's death. And this is how he records it. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed. He's the only one that doesn't have a weapon. He doesn't need a weapon. Because everybody knows what death brings. And Hades is coming behind him. Death steals the life. Hades steals the soul. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, it's really interesting. When you look at the word in the Greek for pale horse, the Greek word is chloris. It's where we get our English word Clorox from. And it's kind of that pale, but, but it's really interesting. According to Leon Morris, the word literally means yellowish green. It's yellowish green. Now, that's not a real popular color. I don't think your next car, the next car you buy, I don't think you're going to order a yellowish green car. You're just not going to do it because it's, it's, it's kind of a gross color. And the reason it's a gross color is yellowish green is a sign of sickness that leads to death. Yellowish green can be the color of vomit. And what it means is this kind of death is coming. And the reality is this, you and I both know that death is a reality unless the Lord Jesus comes back. And he says that this death is going to come and this death is going to take a quarter of the population. It'll be by murder and brutality within cultures. It's going to be by famine. It's going to be by sickness and a plague and even wild animals are going to come. And so the first thing that we see is when this first seal is opened up, there's going to be an increase in the consequences that are already taking place in humanity. Deception's going to continue to grow. We're going to see all four of the horsemen demonstrating these consequences. Well, that's not only the, the, the thing that will increase. As we continue, we see that not only is there an increase in these consequences, but secondly, there's going to be increasing cost due to being committed to Christ. There's going to be an increased cost in following Jesus. We see verses 9 through 11. But when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those on the earth? Then it goes on. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is a picture of increased persecution. Now, the early church, ever since the beginning of the church, there has always been an understanding of persecution. Jesus said this, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If the world hates me, they're going to hate you. 
And we see that. Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And we see that Jesus is telling and getting believers in this place of understanding that persecution is going to come. And in this day, when this letter was written, Domitian was the emperor. And he was burning Christians alive. He was torturing them. There was the greatest systematic attack on Christianity that the world had known at that point. But if you fast forward it to today, you know that the, the most persecuted group of people in the world are Christians. It is happening all around the world, even as we speak. As you and I are gathered here right now, there are church groups who are meeting, understanding that they could lose their life today because of following Christ. And that this persecution is ramping up. I read this past week of five teenagers who were beheaded by the Taliban. Five teenagers because they refused to recount, recant their faith in Jesus. They were given the opportunity. They just said, just say, we follow Allah. That's all. And they said, we will not. They said, just say, we follow Allah. And they would not. And they say, we love Jesus. Jesus loves us. And we will always love Jesus. And they executed all five of them by removing their heads in front of their families and in front of the church. We're seeing it all around the world. Do you know that there are villages around the world that if you're a Christian, you do not get the COVID-19 vaccine because you're following Christ? Do you know that in Canada, pastors are being arrested for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that we've already seen the number of churches that have been shut down and shuttered because of COVID. And we're going to begin to see that even more and more and more. And when these seals are removed... There will be a hatred from the world for those who follow Christ. And there will be a purging of the body of Christ. Because those who are true believers will endure to the end, but there will be many who will walk away from this mental ascent that they call Christianity and for self-preservation renounce anything about God. But the church will stand. This increased persecution is going to come because of faithfulness to Christ. Let me give you the third increase that's going to happen. Increasing in the chaos in natural disasters. You're going to see an increase, and we've already been seeing this for the last 20 years, of natural disasters. Here's how Jesus reveals this to John. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale, which means it's not due season to pick fruit, but the wind is so strong that all the unripe fruit even falls. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling for the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. You're going to see an increase in chaotic activities among nature. And you know that since 1990, there's been a tenfold increase in natural disasters, in their frequency, and in their intensity. 
Jesus says this, it will be like birth pangs before the end. You know what a birth pang is? That's contractions. And we know what happens in contractions. The closer you get to the delivery, the more constant and frequent the contractions and more intense they are. And we're beginning to see all of those things happen. And he says, and when those things happen, nobody will be able to save one another. Vance Havner, old country preacher, said this. He said, the most expensive piece of property will be a hole in the ground where you can hide. And nobody will be able to remedy this. No king is going to save us. No general, particularly in America, will save you. No leaders, nobody is going to come to your rescue. And the wrath of the Lamb will come to full bore. Now, these are three increasing situations, increasing consequences, increasing cost for following Jesus, and increasing chaos. But there's one more. You know how chapter 6 ends? Verse 17 ends this way. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? Who can stand in the midst of all this calamity? Who can stand in the face of the four horsemen? Who can stand in all of the struggles that are going to come to humanity? It's a great question. Who is going to be able to make it through such devastating times? And the answer is found in chapter 7. There is one other thing that is going to increase. Increasing confidence that the followers of Jesus are forever secure. Those who belong to Christ, those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, they are the sealed of God. Jesus just unsealed these six things, but in the picture of that, he has sealed his own forever. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, he says this, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, people take many different positions on the interpretation of this. Some people say it's a literal 144,000 of Jewish people who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation. Others say, no, it is just a sign of completion. 144,000 represents the completion of the age of all those believers who will come, have done so, and now they're gathered into the presence of God. No matter how you look at it, it is an incalculable number of the number of saints who are redeemed. And when you look at chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, we see to get the picture of this great victory. Here's what he says. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. 
And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them and spring of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you see the picture? He's writing this book to encourage us. And he's writing to these people saying, listen, those who are sealed with the spirit of God, those who are believers do not have to worry. In the midst of the four horsemen, you can stand in the midst of the persecution that's coming your way, you can stand in the midst of all the chaos that's going to unfold because of the depravity of humanity. You can stand. And not only will you stand, but you will sing and you will shout and you will praise your Savior forever and ever and ever. And you are forever sealed in the presence of your King. So you know what we should all do? We should all get a t-shirt and it should have a slogan on it saying, come at me, bro, because what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to the child of God who is sealed? What are you going to do to the person who's eternally secure? Let the government come. They cannot stop the gospel. Let the culture try to cancel us. They cannot silence the word of God. Let whoever comes, come, because we are absolutely confident that in that day, we may end our, our, the last face we see here may be the evil against us, but the first face we see in eternity is a Savior who died for us. We are secure. So what do we do until then? What do we do? As these four horsemen are approaching, how do we stand against these four horsemen? You see, we see the shadows of them even now. Now, let me make one thing clear. What we see in the shadows doesn't compare to what's going to be the reality when they come. But while we're in the shadows, here's what we can do. Number one, we are to stand against the white horse through sound doctrine. Listen to me. There's a world that wants to deceive us, and the church is so grossly deceived today by holding to the lies of the culture. And rather than being distinctively different from the culture, the church has become so much like the culture that you can't tell the two apart. And the way we overcome that is sound doctrine. We preach the gospel. We preach Christ and him crucified. We preach that he has risen and that he is alive. Let me tell you, if we do that, the world will hate us. But at least let the world hate us for the right reason, Jesus. And we stand on that truth. How do we stand against a red horse? By walking in grace. We stand against a red horse by walking in grace. He wants to bring and take peace away from the world. We are to walk in the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace is a gospel of grace. Why do we walk into grace? Let me tell you two reasons. 
because you are not perfect. I am not perfect. I want you to know I'm not the best husband that has ever been. I'm not the best daddy that has ever been. I'm not the best preacher and pastor who has ever been. I am not the best Christian that has ever been. I'm flawed. I'm broken. I have my weaknesses. But in God's grace, I can be everything he wants me to be for him. And the failures of my past do not define me. I walk in grace. I'm not all that, and neither are you. And because I walk in grace, I extend grace to other people who are imperfect, who are broken, who are flawed, and who are not like me. You see, we overcome the red horse in our own day by walking in grace. Thirdly, we overcome the black horse by pursuing holiness. You see, he wants us to run after the things of the world that never will satisfy us, but God is calling us to a place of holiness and purity, which will bring great joy and will unite our hearts to bless the heart of the Father. And lastly, we stand against a pale horse by living for God's glory. See, death is going to come. For some of you, death has come into your homes. In the last year, you've lost loved ones, maybe because of COVID, maybe because of something else, and you see the reality of death. For some of you, death has come into your home with a bad report from a doctor. And that doctor is saying, doesn't look good. Some of you may be coming into death because you realize the sickness and the weakness of your own flesh. But here's the hope that no matter what comes our way, we choose to live for the glory of God. I'm going to glorify God in my cancer. I'm going to glorify God in my depression. I'm going to glorify God in my struggles. I'm going to glorify God in the brokenness of my life. And I'm going to seek to glorify him above all things. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, listen to me. You're living in a time of grace. You really are. And the Lord Jesus is here today and he's telling you, this is your time. You're not promised tomorrow. And the reality is, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and the wrath of God comes, you will be separated from him for all of eternity. And today he's calling you to have hope. He's calling you to have life. He's calling you to trust him. And he's asking you today to surrender your life to him. That just simply means you admit that you're a sinner. You admit that he died for you on the cross and he rose on the third day that you surrender everything of your life to him, your past, your present, your future, and you submit to him as your Lord and your Savior. And by faith, you follow him. You can do that today. You can do that right now. In fact, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise any hands, but if that's you, in the quietness of this moment, just simply say to yourself, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But this morning, I accept your invitation. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins and he rose on the third day and he's alive today. And right now, I yield to you my life. I surrender everything to you. 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. And this day I commit to follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a believer here this morning, here's what your challenge is. is to walk courageously, to walk obediently, and to walk with great confidence that in Christ, God is not finished with you yet. You are the salt and the light of this world. And the church is called to go forth because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the body of Christ. And we are to go. And we go without fear. We go without concern. We can go because he is sovereign. He is Lord, and I'm not afraid of anything. He's the one who's the king of kings. He's the one who is still on his throne. He's the one that's working all things to the end for his good pleasure. And you and I are here for such a time as this. And we can walk in courage and boldness and absolute security as we praise our God together. And that's what we're going to do as we end. So would you stand together, please? And as we close with a song, let us close with the absolute confidence that those who are sealed in Christ are secure and there is nothing, nothing that can undo the work of God in us. If you were encouraged by this message and you now have a desire to follow Christ or you just want to learn more about our church, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you were blessed by this message, I encourage you to share it with your friends and family on social media. God bless.